good morning. Um, super glad to, to be preaching this morning. Uh, super stoked for another strange story. If you want to follow along with us, you can scan the QR code on the screen, um, or you can just listen to the sound of my voice. Uh, people online, uh, I don't know how you scan the QR code if you're on the device, but do it. Uh, something like that. Hey, so uh, when we think about strange stories, we think about, um, or I think about anyway, um, kind of this, this idea of um, kind of the way that we're teaching this month, which is through stories. Um, I'm not sure if any of you guys came to church for the very first time, and the reason why you stuck in church is because the, the preacher was a great storyteller. I am not a great storyteller. Um, but the first time I ever, uh, the first like big time that I can really think about like the preacher preaching uh, was at church camp 2005, and this guy named John Randalls, he was two things. One, he was strange looking. Uh, he had something called a skullet. Uh, if you guys don't know what a skullet is, it is a mullet, but it's a skull, like you're bald. So, um, so maybe, maybe as, as, you know, this job stresses me out and I lose my hair, uh, maybe I can continue just to grow the mullet, and I'll have a skullet one day. And you guys will be like, wow, Noah's strange looking. So he's strange looking. And the second thing is he was a great storyteller. And as he told this story about Jesus, I was just like drawn in. And as a little 13-year-old, I was like, okay, I'm giving my life to Jesus. And that was like first time ever hearing the gospel. I was like, let's do this. Okay, it was fantastic. I was ready to go and... Um, and it was all because this guy was such a, a great storyteller. Like he, he un, unraveled the story. Like he started one place and he would like unravel it or whatever. And um, if you ever want to look up his sermons, um, he has now since passed away, but he's a really good pre preacher, really good storyteller, um, all that good stuff. But today I get to tell you a story. And the good thing is that God already told the story. So I just get to tell you that story again. I get to retell the story, kind of like um, back in the olden Western days, they would like sit around and one tale that was like, hey, a really tall guy came into town and shot everybody. Um, it's a story kind of like that, except for me telling it, it's going to be super embellished, right? I'm going to be like, a giant came in and clubbed everyone in the face. Um, no, actually, the story that we're going to talk about today is less um, of a tale, but more of a entirely like a gruesome story that we probably shouldn't be talking about on a Sunday morning. But since it's because it's because it's in the Bible, we are not going to shy away from it. It is one of the craziest weird stories in the Bible, and it deals with things that are just like so countercultural back in that day, countercultural now because why would we do this? That kind of thing. So I'm super excited because the how we relate with it. Is still very relevant, even though the story is obscure, the story is gruesome, and let's talk about it. So um, just to kind of start us off, this story uh, takes place inside of Judges. So if you guys want to turn in your Bibles to Judges, um, this, this story is found in Judges 4 and 5. And um, just to give some, some, some background to it, because reading the words um, inside of your Bible, you're going to realize that there's like a million words that you're going to say, Noah couldn't pronounce that. You're right. Noah can't pronounce any of those names. So, um, so I'm going to set us up so where we are in the middle of where the story is. So the, um, the judges were these people 
they weren't kings or queens, but they were the leaders of Israel at a time between Joshua, like Moses Joshua at that time, and the first king of Israel, which was King Saul. And um, during that time, or in between that time, there were these judges, and these judges, they didn't just judge just like our judges do, which they did. They judged just like judicially, judicially, whatever that is. Um, And uh, they judged that, and also they, they did two other things. They led the vision of Israel. So they were the, um, the person who said, you know what, this is the direction that Israel is going to go. So as, as they kind of like sat down together or, or stood up or whatever, I don't know if they had chairs back then. They did, okay? Like, you guys are going to give me a smile or something. You guys are giving me nothing. Thank you. Um, so, uh, but as they would, um, they would judge over these people of Israel, they would have... Um, obviously meetings of vision, okay? And they would just show the vision to Israel. And God would be giving him this vision, not like an actual vision, but like the direction. And so they would do that, but also they were in charge of the military. So that doesn't mean that they always fought in the military, but that does mean that they were in charge of it. And as they were in charge of this military, they would do different things inside of the Old Testament. If you know anything about the Old Testament in the Bible, you know that there's this cyclical thing that happens where, where God's chosen people, the Israelites, are like in God's good standing, and God's like, I am your, you are my people, that whole thing, and they have a good relationship. And then they do something bad, and then they are punished by that, and not punished necessarily by God. God takes his favor away from them, which means not that he is punishing them, but the favor that is on Israel when, when the Israelites go out to do something where they had the supernatural ability to do something and they would just win. They would just plant something, it would just grow. They would go a direction, that would be the place it's supposed to be. Like God had his favor on them and God would take his favor away and allow them to be in, uh, whether it's slavery or whether it was just a hard time or whether it was under a king or uh, whoever, that would be bad to them. So this story happens the exact same way. Is they once were set free. We think about um, like how Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and they were blessed and they, they wandered around for a long time, but at least they were not in the bondage of the Egyptians, right? So they've, got, they've gotten to this place where they are set free from that, but now they're starting to kind of turn their eyes towards the world and not on God. So God obviously takes his favor away, and this king of Canaan decides that he's going to overtake Israel, and it works. They become like slaves of Canaan. But the king of Canaan, he's he's got too many good things to do, other things to do. So he gets his buddy named Sisera. And Sisera, he was a bad old dude. We don't know too much about Sisera, but we do know that he was the oppressor, the main oppressor. When they would, look at, they would look at Sisera, they would see this person who obviously had some type of hold on Israel. So whether that was enslaving them, putting them to work, doing something that they shouldn't be, or they, they didn't want to be doing, regardless, that's what Sisera was doing. And it says that about 20 years of oppression happened with Israel. And during that time, King, or not King, uh, Judge Ehud which we all know, you know, the judge Ehud, right? 
and Shamgar, all those judges. No, we don't think about those people. Um, but we do know one. Actually, we know like three. Uh, Gideon, Samson, and this last person that's kind of like a trigger. It's like, ooh, okay, that kind of spices things up. Is Deborah. Not Deborah, our connections director, but, but Deborah, the judge. The, the, the beast of a woman. And when I imagine uh, Deborah, I don't imagine her as like a dainty little like, okay, whatever. I imagine her like, we're going to get stuff done. And I almost cussed, okay? Because I hit that and it was so, whoop. Um, goodness. Okay. Um, anyway, so we're going to get stuff done is what I think of Deborah as being the type of person to be. And, um, and as... As Deborah was the judge, she was over the, the armies, and she had this buddy named Barak. And Barak was like, whatever you want to do, we're going to do it. So put me in a place. I'm going to do it. And then Deborah's like, chill out. We're going we're gonna to overtake the Sisera dude. We got to do it in God's timing. So she's like, okay, so I want you to do this and do that. And Barak's like, hey, you got to go with me. So she's like, I, then I'll go with you. And she does it. But this is a, just a, ah, there's so much to the story, but for time's sake, this is the gist of it. Deborah knows that Sisera is a bad guy and knows that the Israelites need to overtake or destroy or kill Sisera in order for them to be this awesome Israelite nation, be God's chosen people, right? And she knows that it's the will of God for for her to over or to lead all of her people, about 10,000 out of the army, to overtake Sisera. Sisera, bad old dude, but he had 900 chariots fitted with iron, is what it said. So I'm imagining like, uh, like Mad Max or like, like gladiator like type things where it has like, shoo, 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 shoo. anyway, um, and just like these death machines, but the Israelites decide, you know what, we're going to go do that. We're going to go overtake Sisera and his army. So they go out to, to overtake him. But one more important part is that Deborah says to Barak, her buddy, her pal, her, her general, says, we're going to go, but God is going to deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. And you guys, myself included, reading through Judges, are like, Deborah, she's about to get down. She's about to commit murder, okay? You're getting kind of like excited for Deborah. You're, you're like, okay, she's going to be the, 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 the part of the story that's like the really cool part. And she's not. She's not. And, and the cool part is that, is that God is, is already, before we even get to the, the part we're going to read in a second, is that he's like interweaving these, these small little things of like, Sisera is going to fall. How is he going to fall? He's going to fall into the hands of, of, a, of a woman. He, it's, it's, it's setting up this thing like, like we're about to get taken out of oppression. How's it going to happen? We're going to figure it out. Like, it's kind of like you're like, okay, so how's this going to happen? How's this going to happen? And it finally, it happens. And Sisera is on his chariot fighting with his men. He notices that they're going to lose. And Sissy Sisera decides he's going to get off of his chariots, or his chariot, and he's going to run away. And by this time, he is dog-tired. I don't know if he's like, 
one of those leaders that like go to the, fort, the, the, the front lines. It's like, I'm going to fight with my people. But I have a feeling he's not because he was able to run away when the fighting was happening. So Deborah and the Israelites are completely taking out Sisera's men or women or whatever, his army. And, um, and Sisera is running away. And that's when this picks up. Uh, Judges 4, 17 through 21 says this. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with the king Jabin of Hazor. Jael out, uh, went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in and don't be afraid. Then what happened? Yeah. So he went into their tent and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk, which that's not what he asked for, but whatever. Um, gave him some milk from a leather bag, disgusting, and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anyone comes and asks you if there is anyone here, say no. But Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion. Now it's about to get real weird. Jael quietly crept to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand, and she drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground, so he died. Like that, okay? It's Halloween, so we have the pumpkin. I love this, this mythological creature, so I don't have a hammer and a tent peg. But it went something similar to this, okay? A very dead Sisera. And I'm, I'm not trying to like be like, oh, let's gross out these people for Halloween. No, this is a story in the Bible. We have to talk about it, okay? And this is a really strange thing that happened. You might be asking one question. Jail, who the snot is that? Well, guess who is? It is not an Israelite. We, we can kind of can like, finagle some stuff and be like, well, maybe, maybe she was like, like, a, like a, an undercover Israelite. She wasn't. No. Uh, Sisera was a woman at the right place at the right time doing exactly what she was supposed to do. And it sounds super weird that I'd be like, you know what? Good for her because she killed somebody. Right? She, 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 she fought somebody else's fight that was not her own. Why would she do that? Why is this story inside of the Bible? Well, it doesn't stop just there. So she takes the tent peg. She drives it into the temple of Sisera. And then he's dead. And it says that it goes through one temple, out the other, into the ground. Nasty. But then Barak, obviously, he's not that fast of a runner. And he catches up. And he's looking for Sisera. Because he's like, even though the Lord is going to deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman, he's like, I want to make sure it happens. So he catches up. He, JL comes out of her tent, and she's like, hey, I think I know who you're looking for. And Barak goes in there and is like, whoop, yep, that's a dead Sisera. He's dead. <sighs> Such a weird story. Because why a tent peg? Why all of that? Why JL? 
Why? It's, it's just very strange. It's a strange story. Well, all we really know about Jael is that she had a husband that was acquaintances with a king, and that king was, was friends with Sisera. So basically, he was an acquaintance of, um, of Jael's husband. So Sisera died, but Jael had this husband that was an acquaintance of Sisera. And then, uh, and then also we know that her name means mountain goat, which means nothing else, just that. Um, there's nothing fun about that. Uh, some of you theologians inside of this, this room may come to me afterwards and be like, well, you didn't talk about how the mountain goat had a tent peg for a horn. I don't know. I don't know. I don't care. Because I don't believe it matters. I think that mountain goat is as far as that goes. But the most important thing is that J.L., the thing that we know about J.L., is that J.L. was exactly where she was supposed to be because she was with her tent. She had taken down and put up tents for her entire life. Why do we know that? Because she was a woman. I said that this was a culturally strange story because it is. Because she was doing her job at home and culturally, she was, not, she was not the person that was supposed to be on the front line. So where's her husband at? Who knows? But she was at home in her tent. She was taking care of it. She noticed that, that there, were, there was an exhausted man. She knew who it was. She knew that was an extremely bad man. She knew that the Israelites were under oppression by this man. So she took care of business. It's a weird story. And as we, we dive kind of like closer into it, we, we see that, that like, yeah, that's as far as the story goes. Like, like jail was used for one moment. We don't know how God used her past that. And we can only infer what happened until that. That's it. There's a, inside of chapter five, there's, she's like part of the, the celebratory song. Because God uses the, uh, uses the Israelites to take out, or the Israelites to take out Sisera's army, Jael to take out Sisera, and then the Israelites are now open to take, uh, take back their land and defeat Canaan, which they do. But they couldn't do that until Sisera was out of the way. So we've got this celebratory, celebratory song, and she's mentioned in there again, but other than that, like, not really. Like, there's, there's really nothing else about J.L. She doesn't get a medal of honor. She doesn't, she, all she gets is just the satisfaction of being like, I helped. Which, I guess, is part of the plan, right? So the question is this today. What part will you play in God's plan? That's what we get out of this story. This beautifully gruesome story in the Bible. What part will you play in God's plan? I don't believe for a second that this story means that you have the, the okay to put tent pegs in people's heads. Um, I don't think that this is some, um, some like read between the lines and be like, if I meet somebody named Sisera, I need to overtake them and kill them. Like there's, like there's really nothing other than like, you are somewhere on the plan of God, right? You're, you're in it somehow. 
And it is up to us to be willing, able, prepared to say, yes, I will do what you've called me to do, God. Right? We, we, that's exactly what Sisera did. She, she didn't play a big part. She wasn't the, the leader of the army. She wasn't, um, she wasn't like, like this like noble. She doesn't have a whole book about her inside of the Bible. She has just a little bit of when she was faithful to God's plan. And this may sound a little bit like too close to the chest because it, when we start talking about death, it makes us really uncomfortable. But we are all going to die, but we are not dead yet. And if God was done with you and your plan, if he was finished using you, you wouldn't be here. So whether it is for your life to be a beacon to somebody else, for you to make a big move inside of your life to honor God, to, to do whatever, like, like, or if you're just called to be silent for whatever reason, or you're called to be loud for whatever reason, you are called to be here on earth right now. God has not allowed you to die. So you're still part of God's plan. So the relevancy of this story is all about you. Yay. Because it's first about God, right? See, God has this amazing plan for us, and he pursues us, and he loves us. Just like he, he pursued so many people inside of the Bible, and he loved them, and we see through their life that they were just jackknobs, but they completely were used by God. So we look at them in the Bible, and we're like, wow, this is amazing. God is really cool. It's no, it's no secret to God. God was using them part of his plan, right? And he wants to use you guys as well. You are part of God's plan. Whether you're not a Christian and you know that God is leading you towards that, you, you're placed inside of the, the, the realm of people who, who love Jesus and you know that you're, you're being drawn to that, or, or you've been a Christian since you were two years old, and you've never missed a day of church, and, and you're, you're like, I've done pretty much all that I can do, well, you're still here. God has an amazing plan for you. God wants to use you. God wants to use you in spite of you sometimes. He wants to use you because of your faithfulness. So, we're going to be like JL. We're going to be prepared. JL, super prepared. Super duper. No, oh, I smell that pumpkin now. Super prepared. Check this out. It's not on the screen, but in Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, says this. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Which I love when the Bible talks like I would talk. I feel like I would call someone lazy bones. But it says this. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they may, may have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. God has placed you in this life. Work at it with all your heart. Store up for the winter. You may not know what you're preparing for, but prepare. If God has given you the kids that you have, you're supposed to parent them well. If he's given you a body that, that is able to move, you're supposed to move well. Exercise, eat right, get sleep. I'm talking to myself on that one. If, if he gave you a job that, that you hate, work yourself out of that job. If he, if he gave you a job that you love, 
hold on to it and use it for God's glory. Continue to get amazing at everything that you do. If you're a runner, run faster. Work on your breathing. If you're a weightlifter, bump up the weights. You probably should. I'm, I'm saying like, like do all that you can to be the best at whatever you can do, whatever you sell as much as you can, buy as much as you can. I don't know. But I'm saying all of that with the caveat of this. If you are trusting in God, if you are so focused on him, while you say, I'm going to be the best that I can be, you're going to be prepared. You're going to be extremely prepared. So there must have been a lot of adrenaline pumping through JL's fists, right? When she grabbed the tent peg and the hammer. And her hands might have been shaking, but I, I can promise you they weren't shaking from the weight of the hammer and the tent peg. She had been that countless times. She was ready, right? She was prepared. Super weird, gross, horrible story. She was prepared though. She was so prepared that she knew exactly what to do for whatever reason. The dude was exhausted and, he, and she knew that he was running from someone. So she was like, I'm here, I have a bed. Go lay in the bed to give rest to somebody who was a bad dude. Caught him at his most vulnerable time. And he was like, perfect. If I don't say yes, I will die. Then he's like, I'm, give me some water. I'm thirsty. And she must have been a mother because she gave him warm milk. Right? If you guys have a baby and you've, you've ever, like, given them a bottle that's, like, fresh, like, out of the, the, however you've heated it up, okay? And it's like, and that baby starts sucking on the bottle, and their eyes start to roll back in their head. Why? Because they're, like, being lulled asleep. She lulled this guy asleep. Because she knew, she knew that what she was about to do was going to be, it's going to be difficult, and she had to be able to focus. So she does what she has done a million times before, not put things through people's head, uh, but grab a tent peg and a hammer and and guys, ladies, children, if they're in here, I'm sorry. but God has called you to prepare for the moment that he needs you. And it may not be as evident as having a tent peg and a hammer. It may be a very subtle thing where you just and make a decision that you know you need to make. Or you stop doing something that you know you need to stop. Or fill in the blank whatever God is doing inside of your life and in your heart. But he's calling you to something. So be prepared. Secondly, be willing. JL was so willing to do what she had to do for whatever reason. Um, 2 Corinthians 8, 12 says this. Whatever you give, 
is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give it according to what you have and not what you don't have. We've all been faced with the task of cleaning the dishes, taking out the trash, doing the things we don't want to do. On a very small scale, yes, this, this is the will of your life in order to keep your house clean, right? Nobody really wants to dust, unless if you're weird, but nobody really wants to do that because that, that, it, it seems so pointless to dust on top of things that people are never going to see, right? But if you want to keep your house clean, you've got to do that. Now, the dishes in the trash are a different story, all right? It bothers us. It gives us anxiety. We're like, oh, my goodness. Got to get to that. Got to get to that. Got to get to that. And we've got to, we won't do it until we're willing to do it. And usually inside of the McCormick house, it's because somebody is like, hey, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And we're like, looks like we're cleaning. Oh, none of you guys do that. Well, whatever. Um, but you've heard this probably a thousand times if you've been inside of church, and it's this, that you are a missionary right where you're at, and it couldn't be more true. Because you are. You are a missionary right where you're at. You, you, are, you are called to, to be willing to go, to be prepared, but also when, when you're called to do it, to be like, yeah, I'll do it. Make that mental check of, yeah, and that's why you hear so many, so many preachers before they, um, they preach or, or someone prays and they're like, we just pray that we will say yes to God before he even asks. Okay, that's not because preachers are trying to like manipulate. It's because everyone, including the person with a microphone, knows that it is extremely difficult to will yourself. And if you don't start out from the gate being like, God, whatever you want, your will. Your will be done. I trust you first and foremost. If you don't start out that way, you're never going to be able to say yes when you're called upon, right? If you go into a room knowing that you have to complete a task, you will complete that task. If you go into a room thinking, I may or may not, you might not complete that task, right? And if your heart is so hardened that you're like, nope, I will only do what I'm supposed to do when you are called upon to do something that is not, uh, not in your normal realm of thinking or, or like your scheme of how you want your life to go, you will say no. Every time. Because you're not prepared and you're not willing. Be like JL, be prepared, be willing. And lastly, this, be aware. This is another one of those verses that you guys have heard a million times. Stay alert. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he does. And some of you have been the, the subject of that roaring lion. And you feel like you know about that roaring lion more than other people. Like you've seen the trenches. Like you know the depth of how much Satan hates you. Like you, you've, you've, like, you've felt the, the, the heat wave 
of what could be, um, like the, the worst it could be, you felt that, right? Some of you guys actually know that. And some of us, we're just like aloof. <laughs> we're walking around being like, I don't know. Is that really big of is it really that big of a deal if I talk about God in front of my friends? Is it really that big of a deal if I don't know, if I just say the same prayer over and over and over again without without any feeling or heart or like emotion to God at all? Just like saying words. Is it really that big of a deal if I really go to church? Is that really that big of a deal if, if, I, if I'm like constantly telling people that God loves them? Is it really that big of a deal? Is it really going to change very much? Let me just tell you, if you are not aware of the things that God wants you to do, probably because you're not prepared and you're not willing. Because if you were aware you'd be doing something. If you're aware that there's a very real enemy trying to destroy us, essentially, you would do something, right? JL, she was aware. Whether she was waiting on JL or whether she was just ready for that very moment, we're like, okay, whatever. I'll do it. There's something that... Um, that I'm trying not to develop, and it's called the Dowinger's hump. This is sound, anyway. So it's um, from looking down constantly at my phone, and it's something that a lot of us, um, my generation, younger than me, older than me, everybody, right now, uh, if you have a device, you are constantly looking like this, and, um, and I guess that's not good for your neck, because you get a Dowinger's hump, and you'll start doing like this, and you won't be able to put, pick your neck back up. And... Um, what I, what I did the other day is I, I looked up Dowinger's hump because I was like, I feel like something's happening. And I was like, I was like, what am I supposed to do? Even though I know what to do is stop looking at my phone so much. Um, but um, a medical scientist, smarter people than me, they said that uh, all you have to do is fix your posture. Like you just have to be um, actually like upright. And if you uh, want to look at your phone, just like look at it like this. And it's super annoying and you're not going to do it and I'm not going to do it. Um, because do we ever listen to the doctors? We don't. But, but as we're, we're doing stuff, we, we have to be alert. But also, um, as we're, we're more alert um, in our phones, like, like take the phone out of it, um, if you want to accomplish anything, if you don't want to fall asleep at your desk at work, if you want to make sure that your kids um, know that you're present with them, um, if you want to know that your wife um, is, is, or you're listening to your wife, your wife, make sure she knows that you're listening. Uh, you need to fix your posture. You need to look at people in the eyes. And you need to sit up straight, and you need to have your face forward to where you're going, right? The same thing with our spiritual life. We, we have got to fix our posture with how we relate with the world. And stop being lazy or, or like isolated inside of our heads where we say, we say, okay, well, my, my life only and, and my, like, what's good for me and, and, and God, you've got my best interest out. No, 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 no. God wants you to succeed. He wants 
good for you, but he cannot show you anything if you're looking down, right? If you're continually just like so focused into yourself, you're going to get this spiritual Dallinger's hump. I don't even know if I'm saying Dallinger's hump right, okay? Honestly, Siri didn't help either, but she didn't even know what I was talking about. I was like, I know it's a thing, but, but we have to fix our posture. We have to be aware. We have to be prepared, and then we have to be willing. We have to be aware. So when things happen, we don't just like willy-nilly fall into what God wants, but we eagerly, anxiously await for God to call upon us to do something, to say something in our hearts, through our lives, through uh, use us, use somebody else, do something, and me be used, right? That's, that is the energy we need to have when we, we relate with God, when we relate with others about God, right? So it goes back to that question. What part will you play in God's plan? Will you sit idly by and just wait for something to happen and it's not going to? Or are you like, you know what? I'm doing this. I'm committed. Tent peg in the head, bad example. But it is the example we have from God. Bad example. Don't do that to people. But fill in the blank with something else that would be faithful. Fill in the blank with something else that, that, would, um, that would be God-honoring. Cho- choosing to, to be the parent, be the boss, be the, the coworker, be the whatever, be the spouse that God has called you to be and not just happen upon good luck, but instead seek out God's will? That's the plan I want to be part of. And if you are honest with yourselves, that's the, part, that's the plan that you want to be part of too. You want to be in God's will. Right? Let's pray. God, you are so gracious. You are so good to us. And I thank you for um, how you've spoken into all of our lives. God, I pray that you will help us as we as we search for your will in our life, that you allow us to know exactly what plan you have planned for us. God, and we may not have all the answers, God, but we are just committing today to be prepared, to be willing, and be aware that when you call us, that our posture is correct, that we're looking towards you, we're not looking towards the ground, that we're not we're not hiding away from the world hoping that, that you will just like let us float through this life, God, but instead that you are calling us to bold Christianity, to being a Christ follower, to be a disciple of you, God. That we're not getting so caught up in the weeds of this life that we're looking towards you and we are ready to be part of your plan, your glorious, wonderful plan. God, we ask for your mercy and we ask for your grace that only by you and your mercy and grace that we can accomplish anything, God. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this this great example, even though it's gory and it's strange, God. We see the message and we commit to following you. We always give you glory. We always give you praise forever and always. Amen. 
All right, they're wrapping it up in the service, but I wanted to let you guys know that we at Central, we're super glad that you were here today. If you need prayer, you can just email us at prayer at cbcawaso.org. And if you're wondering when is a good time to come and be part of the service, come in person, uh, let this be your invitation right now. Uh, we'd love to see your face, or even if you just want to comment something, we'd love to talk to you. And remember, here at Central, we're a church where Jesus changes everything. See you next week.